Welcome into another edition of Sportball with Squam, Stogie, and Squall Dog. Squall Dog? Zoom tight. Should I just see myself out now? <laughs> I'm your boy Sam with me as always. My two good friends, Kyle and Seth. Boys, Greetings. how are we doing? Doing well. Really just got, uh, got off a plane from Portland, so I had a lovely long weekend visiting some friends and saw a Blazers game. It's fantastic. Like oh, so you weren't in Portland, Maine? I was not. <laughs> hmm. You could have been seeing the Portland, Maine Blazers. <laughs> I'm quite upset that my nickname of Thicky Rubio never stuck. Well, it stuck with us. <laughs> That's what you're asking. <laughs> also, what reminded you of that? He doesn't play for the Blazers. <laughs> I was going to say that until Seth said he got off the plane. I mean, he did have a stint with the the Portland, Maine Blazers, to be clear. Yeah. In the Z League. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what else is new? Anything? You know, same shit, different day. Same day, Seth different shit. Seth is now, so. I know. What took so long is a real question. Honestly. You know, if I were to cycle... All it took was to get locked down? I just feel like I'm still not quite sure if it's, like, thick enough to be legitimate also it itches and it's kind of pokey so i don't you need know the oil yeah, i got some you, beard you oil from oil? my dad joel kwam famous beard wearer and i feel like i haven't Shout noticed any difference at all maybe i'm using it wrong i'm just i just can't grow a beard so i highly encourage anyone else that can to grow one how do you how are you using the beard oil i mean you can't really be using it wrong are you are you taking it anally? Is that not what you're supposed to do? <laughs> uh, Should I put beard oil on my pubes? Yeah. I've been missing out. So here's what I do. I take a shower. I put the beard oil on my hand. I put it on my pubes. Then I get some more <laughs> beard oil on my palm. Maybe like three to four drops. And then I rub it in with both hands. On my yeah, beard and my mustache. Yeah. All right. Should I be using beard oil on my stash? I think so. I also shampoo and condition my beard on occasion. Yeah, but you should. That, that hasn't done anything either, I feel like. Don't use uh, head and shoulders, though, because it gives you a little bit of dandruff and then takes a little bit away and it makes you think it's working. Is it's that to beards or heads and shoulders? Shoulders, mostly. Can you put the air oh, okay. conditioner on or open that window? <clears throat> No. Please open that window. Okay, fine. I'll open the window. Everyone keep talking while I do, so. How does something give you dandruff? What is dandruff? I don't know, but my dogs had dandruff recently. Really? Multiple yeah. dogs? <laughs> my my dog has had... I just did a, oh. a, a terrible... Um, com, is it a com, what's Contraction? that called? A compound? Contraction. Boy, you guys really fall apart when I open a window, huh? Jeez. We're talking about dandruff. <laughs> what are we talking about? We're talking about dandruff. We're talking, talking about, about dandruff? dandruff, man. All right, let's get talking into about it. dandruff. I'm tired of fucking around. So this is uh this is gonna be an NBA podcast. So for all you, tis the season. <laughs> for all you, uh, majority NFL football fans, stay tuned. You might learn something. <laughs> <laughs> Let's start on a, a more a more somber note. 
This is our first podcast that we've recorded since the sudden passing uh, of Kobe Bryant, along with his daughter Gianna and Long seven others um, on a helicopter in California. Um, I know it hit all of us hard, and I just wanted to take this opening time to talk about it and um, talk about how we, you know, how we feel about it and what, what we'll miss about Kobe, etc. So, Kyle, you want to start off? Whoa. I don't know. It's tough. Um, obviously, there's always the argument. There's Jordan's the best. Who's who's the closest thing to him? Is it LeBron? Is it Kobe? Is any of them better than Jordan? And everyone always says Jordan, right? And it's always, like I said, it, it's tough because we grew up in an era watching Kobe on a daily basis, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, we saw, we watched Jordan on his on the Wizards. That wasn't the real Michael Jordan. But we saw Kobe through all his greatness, and, you know, that's the closest thing we'll ever see to the style of play that Michael Jordan was. So, to see, see him pass and have to experience that was definitely tough. Um, especially just seeing how much it shook the rest of the entire NBA and just basketball as a whole. Uh, it was just really hard. Still hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's like... It's definitely the the biggest death in my lifetime, sports-wise, um, maybe ever in anything. Maybe like Michael Jackson, but... This is on that level. Um, so shocking. Kyle, you're the one that first told me, and I, I couldn't believe it at first. Um, you know, just the night before, LeBron had passed him in scoring, and, you know, he had tweeted his congratulations, and it felt like, kind of like he passed the torch to LeBron and then just passed the next day. And, um, <clears throat> you know, obviously, I wasn't the biggest Kobe fan throughout his life. Um, but he was a great he was a great villain he's a great he's a great player to cheer against because he was one of the greatest um, and you know I grew up watching him and we all did and you know Kyle's right for he was our Jordan basically and it's the first player that's really died where I felt like I knew him or like I was you know he was in my life every day and it's like the first star of our generation to pass. <clears throat> and, you know, I I wasn't always the biggest fan, like I said, because of, you know, his style of play and the off-court issues, including the Colorado incident. Um, and obviously he wasn't, he wasn't perfect. He wasn't close to perfect. Um, but he, he also did do a lot of good things. Um, the way he championed women's basketball and the WNBA, and just girls in general, later on in his life, was definitely worth commending. Um, And that's part of the reason that makes it so tragic, is that his daughter passed with him, and she was the one that that, um, really loved basketball out of his kids, and the one that he shared the most with um, their love of basketball. And she was kind of going to carry on his legacy, and now she can't, you know. <clears throat> and like Kobe had a full life. I mean, 
not as full as everyone would have liked, but he, you know, he reached his middle age. He accomplished a lot of what he wanted to accomplish, and Gianna doesn't even get that opportunity because she passed the age of 13. So that, to me, was the saddest part. <clears throat> and, you know, I'll just remember... I'll remember how much I love cheering against Kobe, how much he was a big part of my life, and this is just a this is a passing that will stick for us for stick with us for a long time. Yeah, definitely agree with what you guys have said so far, um, and I think it's been a time over the last few weeks for grieving, and you know everyone does that in their different ways. Um, I also, you know, Kobe was one of my favorite players to root against, um, along with Pau Gasol. <laughs> so, Fuck Pau Gasol. I think, uh, but certainly I never wished him any, um, you know, physical injury, and certainly not this with the daughter and with everyone else on the plane. Um I figured I'd just read, because I think a lot of people um, have been talking about this for weeks now and have had a lot more eloquent words than I would have. And one of the things that I really resonated with um, was posted on Facebook. This is just shared. I don't know this person who posted it. It's Allie Wayne. Um, But I think kind of encompasses a lot of um, how I feel about the complexity of of feelings so they say i think kobe bryant meant a lot to many of us black folks for complicated reasons i also believe he got away with rape i also think he was a great dad i also think he was one of the greatest players to play the game i also think his promotion of women's basketball in the WNBA was admirable and forward-thinking i also loved his aerial artistry i also know that sexual assault survivors will be triggered and traumatized by this public lionization I also know that even though I resented his seeming selfishness and political apathy in his early years, he grew into a type of maturity in his personal life and in his philanthropic endeavors that surprised me in a positive way. As he grew older, he grew bolder in his political visibility in ways that I appreciated. Seeing him rock the I Can't Breathe t-shirt to commemorate Eric Garner's assassination by the police heartened me. I also don't think that this erases the deep trauma he caused. I also believe in healing, growth, and redemption. I also cried when I heard he died because feelings are not political agendas and many of these celebrities are intertwined in our memories in ways that bypass our frontal cortex. I'm looking at you, Michael Jackson. I remember where I was when Kobe, the athlete, did insert great athletic achievement. I also know that the ability to compartmentalize is a luxury of the privileged and as someone who has not been sexually abused, I have privilege. I also know that his child died with him and that she deserved a longer life. I also mourn for his family. I also hold his survivor and other sexual assault survivors in the light tonight. I also know that the basketball fan in me will miss him. This is hard to process. Be as gentle as best as you can. And if this reflection hurts or offends, I also believe that as an imperfect being like all of us, I will hurt and harm people I love. Because such is life, and life is very, very short. So I think that kind of encompasses my feelings and thoughts about it better than I could put into words. Um, yeah, and certainly as a 
sexual assault victim advocate myself, I think that that's been a tough time for a lot of people. Um, not just the woman who <clears throat> was victimized by Kobe, but anybody who's had that experience, who's, you know, seen everything in the media the last few weeks. So I want to hold that up as well. But at the same time, like he meant a lot to a lot of people and it's, reasonable to allow people to grieve however they need to so that's what i'll say yeah i think i think that person put it very eloquently and i'll certainly never forgive him for that colorado sexual assault but i do know that um by the time he retired i would have said he was he was a good person you know i and i wouldn't have said that for most of his career necessarily i think that um, I'll never forgive him for that, and but I still was, I was still deeply moved by his passing, and you know those two things can coexist. <clears throat> yeah, I mean it's it's difficult, right? When, uh, you know, off the court issues can not not slander someone, but. Um, you know, paint them in a more negative way than I think the the majority or the public truly views them at. Um, but I think, like what we've talked about, anytime anything did go wrong, off or on the court, we can at least appreciate the fact that Kobe wasn't, uh, um, you know, he didn't just let it pass by and sit there idle he made changes in his life to correct those those mistakes and you know do better as, as his life went on i remember reading a story um there was a time where he got mad at a ref in a game and used some gay slurs mm-hmm. and he then proceeded to um you read that story I've heard about the way he handled that. Yeah, so he 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 realized what he did at that moment too was you know it it was wrong. Like that's the day and age that we we're in now, right? Stuff like that is looked at very poorly, and you know it shouldn't be tolerated. And Kobe didn't tolerate it himself, and took the actions off the court to correct those and become um, you know an advocate of change, right? And to better yourself. And that's kind of how he, at least in my eyes, lived, you know, his life on and off the court was if anything went wrong or if there was any way that he could better himself, he seemed to take the measures to do so. Whether he, you know, did something wrong that should have never been done in the first place, I think it takes a lot to be able to realize what you do was wrong, whether you verbally say it or not, and, you know, make make things better going forward, I guess. Yeah, well put. Seth, any final thoughts? I think that sums it up. All right, well, let's, um, let's move on. Um, I'm sure we'll be all carrying that loss with us for some time, but... There is still basketball going on. Um, 
namely one of the big happenings in the NBA recently was the trade deadline of last week, um, where it was kind of slow leading up, but we saw a few big trades. Um, the biggest one was the Warriors trading D'Angelo Russell, who they acquired in the offseason, to the Wolves, the Minnesota Timberwolves, for Andrew Wiggins, uh, their former number one pick. Number two pick? Number one pick? Who's former? Number one. Number one. Their former number one pick. Um, oh, Wiggins, yeah. So the full deal is that the the Timberwolves get D'Angelo and a few um, cap fillers and Jacob Evans and Amari Spellman, and the Warriors get Wiggins. A 2021 top three protected first round pick that rolls over to 2022. Unprotected, right? And is unprotected then. And then another 2021 second rounder. <clears throat> so basically what happened was the Warriors traded D'Angelo to the Wolves for Andrew Wiggins and a pretty high draft pick. Um, I'll just start because I have some thoughts on this. Um, for In my mind, I don't really... I don't love it for either team, but... I like it. I think the Warriors won the trade because, and of course, this all remains to be seen, right? We have to see how these players perform for their new teams. But, you know, let's let's flash back to last summer. The Warriors knew Kevin Durant was leaving, right? So it's a question of either getting nothing for him or getting something in return. So what they did was a sign and trade with the Nets where they got D'Angelo Russell back. And now D'Angelo doesn't necessarily fit their team, right? Shoot first, uh, poor defender, guard doesn't fit quite very well with Steph and Clay, but you know the Warriors figured let's grab this asset while we can, see what it's like. Maybe we can flip it later. They saw D'Angelo for fifty games. They said no thanks, and they flipped him again for Andrew Wiggins and a draft pick. And this draft pick is pretty much the best asset out there that was traded. Um, the Timberwolves, I assume, are still going to be pretty bad in the next couple years, so we might be looking at a top 10, even top 5 pick. So they basically turned what could have been nothing into a former number 1 pick and uh, the best draft asset out there in the NBA. So, no, Andrew Wiggins isn't perfect. He's far from perfect. In fact, he's ass. <laughs> but he does play small <laughs> forward he fits better with with D'Angelo and Steph and turning KD into Andrew Wiggins when you might not have had anything isn't that terrible of a move right I mean you can't say just Andrew Wiggins <laughs> to turn him into Andrew Wiggins and exactly. Uh, uh, exactly what should be a lottery pick in, in the 2021 class exactly and well, you know I was looking at this and I think I think most people consider I would say the consensus is that D'Angelo is a better player than Andrew Wiggins right Mm-hmm. Yes, I, I just I think it's a little closer than than we think. I mean, neither are great defensively. I think Andrew has a chance to be fine defensively, and D'Angelo probably doesn't ever due to just his size and just the way he naturally is on defense. I mean, they have basically the same counting stats. Wiggins is at twenty two five and four. D'Angelo's at twenty four four and six. Um, their contracts are basically the same. They're almost the same. Actually, I was looking up their ages. So Wiggins is, uh, <laughs> Wiggins is twenty four. D'Angelo is twenty three. Would you believe they both have the same birthday? Really? <laughs> so they'll both be they'll both be. Uh, so Wiggins will be turning twenty five. D'Angelo will be turning twenty four on February twenty third. So oh. happy 
There you go. Happy early birthday to both of them. So, to me, I feel like the Warriors got a marginally worse player who fits their team better and the top draft asset available in that trade. So, and what the Wolves did is they kept Carl Anthony Towns happy, right? And it might not be the perfect fit for them. Their defense is going to be abhorrent with Cat and D'Angelo, but Cat wanted D'Angelo and they want Cat to stay there. So maybe that's the bottom line, right? Yeah, gonna... I think um, I think I, I agree with most of much what you said. Um, it definitely makes the Timberwolves. I, I watched a couple games since the deadline, and really D'Angelo has only played one game so far, but they've been a lot more exciting to watch. There's been a lot more fluidity to their offense without Andrew Wiggins. Uh, there's been a lot more ball movement, a lot more off-ball movement by the rest of the players on the team. Um, I'm a, a big fan, I always was, of Malik Beasley, and uh, Wancho has always performed too, Hernan Gomez, uh, when he got time in Denver. And now both of those players are getting, you know, upper 20s in minutes, and they've been producing since they've been on the Wolves the last you know week. And like I said, it's just been fun to watch. And that's because um, of another trade that we haven't mentioned yet. That's yeah. why those players are there. Right. Um, and the thing with Wiggins, too, obviously everyone has such a, a negative perception uh, of him because of kind of what he hasn't achieved, right? Um, but sometimes it just takes, you know, shaking things up to get a player going. Um, and... Being traded to the Warriors is probably the best thing that could have happened to him because that's just like one of the best systems in the NBA when the whole team is healthy, right? So next year when we see Steph, Clay, Wiggins, and Draymond, like you don't even have to be a great defensive player on that team. The system makes you a better defensive player, right? Mm-hmm. So I think that along with the fact that having all those shooters around him is going to open him up to easier baskets. So I, we might even see his statistics look better. And people are going to say, wow, Golden State fleeced uh, Minnesota on this trade. But it, the system you're in, you could put a lot of players into that role. I mean, we saw Harrison Barnes do it. He's basically Harrison Barnes, right? right. Just a much more expensive version at this right. point. But... Harrison was a very important piece for them, you know, for their their title runs when he was on the team. And he hasn't done much since he left, right? So now you're going to put Andrew Wiggins on this team in the same role. I, I, I think we see him kind of have a, a reinvigorated, you know, career, at least while he's with Golden State. For sure. So I agree with the role discussion about Wiggins on the Warriors. Um I think, Sam, you seem to be evaluating the trade, like, starting from the KD trade. So, like, if we're Mm going to start there, like, yeah, I think the Warriors did a good job dealing with that situation. But if we're going to start from, okay, what was the team we had before the trade deadline with having D'Angelo on the team, I don't think they really upgraded much. Um, I think... I kind of would have liked to see D'Angelo um, <clears throat> with Clay and stuff. I think, obviously, defensively, he's not good. 
we've been over that many times. Um, <laughs> but I think with Clay and with Draymond and the team, you know, for years, like Steph has kind of been someone that defenses have um, sought and tried to get the mismatches. And I'm sure that same thing with D'Angelo would happen anyways, and they'd just be banking on the firepower and offense, making up for that. And I feel like it would actually be a better fit offensively to have D'Angelo, who's actually a good three-point shooter and can dribble around, um, make plays for other players, get a couple little floaters um, when everyone's all pinned on Steph and Clay and creating space in the lane. Like, I feel like that would have been interesting to see. Um, Wiggins certainly adds a little bit of length defensively, and I think he probably will succeed better in that role than he has in Minnesota. But I like the trade more for the Timberwolves. Um, I mean, their prospects aren't the best, but with what they have, with their primary goal being keeping Carl Anthony Towns around and trying to build off of him and hoping that he can improve into the type of player that will actually win basketball games. I think this is an important move for them to make because Cat loves D'Angelo so much. Um, and like Kyle alluded to, this makes them a much more fun team and hopefully we'll get you know fans excited about watching the team and maybe they can start winning some blowout games even if their defense is atrocious. Um so I'm excited for the Timberwolves. I think with some of the other assets they added, they could be on the playoff bubble in future years, which would make that Warriors pick less impactful as well um, that they have now. So, Sam, you said you don't really love it for either team. I think I do love it for the Timberwolves, and I think it's reasonable for the Warriors and could work out, but I don't know. Maybe I was underestimating the <clears throat> um, haul that D'Angelo Russell could garner from other teams. But when I first saw this trade, I was like, Andrew Wiggins is a net minus, and then they're just getting a draft pick for D'Angelo. Like, I feel like they could have done better than that. And so maybe other teams aren't rating him as highly. Um, and, yeah, maybe Wiggins will be, like, a more expensive Harrison Barnes, and that does have value. But um, I th- I like it more for the Wolves. I just feel like the, what it comes down to for me is I don't think that Andrew or that D'Angelo Russell is demonstrably better than Andrew Wiggins. And then they got a pick, which to me has a great chance of being a top five pick this year because the Wolves are one of the worst teams in the league. And then next year, I don't see anything happening differently. And it could it could be the number one pick in the draft. Well, the, the pick was 2021, Yeah. so it doesn't sorry. matter what the Wolves are this year. So then at You're the right, end sorry, of next, next season, then if it's top three, then it moves over to the next year. Mm-hmm. So really it's like if the Wolves are terrible like after two more seasons – I don't see. I don't. Which I don't see them not possible, being but... terrible. Yeah. yeah. See, that's the thing. Uh, the the upside of this pick being only top three protected in the twenty twenty one draft is the fact that Minnesota is uh, 
a, a team that plays in the Western Conference. <laughs> so, I mean, if as long as nothing crazy happens over this offseason, I don't see Minnesota really having the ability to be anything better than a bottom five team in the West still based on all the other teams. And, you know, like right now they're 14th out of 15th. Golden State's worse than them and that's it. Golden State is going to be a a top four team next year, right? The Suns have shown a lot of improvement. They've been very hot and cold and very up and down. Uh, But if they can consistently play, I like their their future better than Minnesota's. The Kings, uh, I kind of the same thing. Uh, we know what they can do. They've been uh, haunted by injuries all this year um, to their to their front court. So when they're fully healthy, they're better than the twenty one and thirty two record they're at now. We know the sky's the limit for the Pelicans, right? And then the other two teams not in the playoffs, Portland and San Antonio, any year those those are two playoff teams too. So it's like I just don't see whether they kept Wiggins or not, unless they make some drastic changes over the offseason, I don't see a way for them to improve their team enough to even make the playoffs in the West next year or, like I said, even be better than like a 12 or 11 seed. Well, the other thing too is, or, now that the the odds have changed for the lottery, even if you just barely miss the playoffs, you have a decent chance of getting right. a top three pick. So, let's say next year they finish, um, you know, with the ninth best odds to get a you know the number one pick. Well, we just saw the Pelicans get the number one pick with the ninth best odds this year. So, well, if I that think, happens, the Timberwolves will get their pick because it's top three protected. Right. So, could happen in twenty twenty two as well. I mean, it's just it's. It's very easy for it to slip into the, and you know it might not happen, but it was I think it was worth the risk to get a top five pick. I think how you feel about this trade, a lot of it comes down to like we're saying, how good you think the pick is, you know, mm-hmm. because that's the real thing that's going to swing this trade. So, I think it's also I've just seen as a Celtics fan, all of these like first round picks that people talk about is these incredible pick, incredible pieces. And it's like, oh, yeah, the Kings are going to be terrible forever. And then, like, the one year that the Kings give their pick to the Celtics, they're, like, a middle-of-the-pack almost playoff team. Yeah. And it's like, <laughs> oh, Memphis is going to be terrible forever. And this year they're, like, randomly good. So I just think it's really hard to predict that far, into, even a couple years into the future. And these Western Conference, like, teams vacillate so much. Like, all of those bottom-feeder teams um, just – change all the time so and i it's not like the timberwolves don't have any talent so uh, i don't know like you said it it was probably worth the risk but i don't think it's like oh my god the warriors got this pick that's gonna be amazing for them going forward you know plus even if they do get a high pick the warriors have a better track record than others but like how often does the number seven pick turn into anything good sure like Sometimes it's a, a shot in the dark regardless. So Right. But to get a player who's the same, basically the same player back and get a shot at succeeding that might be worth it. I mean, I think like most trades, this one will have to be evaluated further down the road, right? Mm-hmm. But we just are trying to give our 
reactions right after the fact. Yeah. <clears throat> Shall we move on? Please. Perhaps the second biggest splash of the week was the... My favorite. <laughs> the blockbuster four-team, 12-player trade, uh, which I won't bore you with the details, but basically what you need to know is the Rockets got Robert Covington, Bobby Big Dick, you might say. The Hawks get Clint Compeller from the Rockets. The Timberwolves get uh, the Nets' 2020 first-rounder and Malik Beasley and Juancho Hernan Gomez. Also Evan Turner, if you care about that sort of thing. He's going to get bought <laughs> out, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. And the Nuggets get Houston's 2021st and a few players of oh. almost no note. Not true. Except for... Keita Bates-Diop. That's true. Never really had a chance in the league, but... He's two years away from being two years away. <laughs> I think being in the Nugget system, though, like, he's a perfect player for them. Um, he's... What is he? He's, like, 6'9 or something, but has, like, a 7'4 a wingspan, something crazy. Like, and he's very, uh, very agile. <laughs> you know? Like, he doesn't move like a, a typical almost 7-footer. Um... So I, I think people are going to be like, oh, he's nothing. I think he's going to make an impact on the on the Denver team come the playoffs, and I can you know, see that being a an important defensive player at least um, when they're when they're trying to make their run. Yeah, I don't think he's necessarily just a throw-in. I mean, we'll see what happens, but I mean, he's certainly not the headline of this deal. Kyle, why don't you talk more about the the Robert Covington and Clint Capella swap that everyone is talking so, about? So what happened? Clint Capella, rest his soul, uh, got <laughs> traded to Houston Light, um, Atlanta Hawks. So Atlanta <laughs> basically is Houston, but with worse defense. Um, so what we saw Capella doing in Houston, I don't think really is going to change much once he uh, is back from his injury and starting. Um, I think we're still going to see, you know, those pick and roll, the pick and rolls with him and Trey are going to be lethal. Uh, so that's going to be. I mean, the Hawks are one of the most exciting teams to watch in mm-hmm. the NBA, anyways. And now adding someone uh, of Capella's stature right in the at the five is going to be fun. But obviously, my favorite part of all this is Bobby Big Dick <laughs> uh, going to Houston, and Houston really, you know. Everyone knows already, I'm sure, that listens to the podcast, my love for Houston and D'Antoni and uh, Daryl Morey, right? And I'm just really excited and I've really enjoyed watching over the last couple days since this trade happened. This, I mean, even before then, when Capella got injured and the Rockets decided to go all in on, if you want to call it the small ball movement, um, it's, it's really fun to watch, you know. It's not something that a lot of teams do or do well, uh, but I think Houston is really trying to perfect this play where you have five players on the court that could shoot threes at a 35% plus uh, rate as well as switch to all five players on the court and defend um, defend decently to very well. Um and I know I've seen a lot of stuff like, oh, this doesn't make any sense. How are they going to compete with 
you know, teams like the Lakers who have Anthony Davis down low or uh, any other team that has a, a big man as one of their core offensive players. But it's like they probably weren't going to be able to beat the Lakers in a seven-game series anyways, right? So why don't you try something different? And if you can run Anthony Davis or a big off the court or, you know, what they want them to do is force other teams to take, uh, take like, hook shots and post up under the basket, which is one of the most inefficient plays in basketball, there, Houston is just going to take a whole bunch of threes or they're going to take dunks or layups. They're going to take the the highest expected value shots on the court. And that's kind of been their style ever since this D'Antoni and Maury era started. But now it's completely 100% bought into we're going to have five players that could shoot from anywhere outside the arc and defend at any position at any time. And it's been really fun to watch, and I think this actually gives them a better chance come the playoffs to make a run. Seth, how do you feel about this trade? Yeah, I think what Kyle is saying makes sense. I think they were at the point in the season where it's kind of like not fully working. Um, You know, they weren't maybe winning as many games as they have in the past and figured it was time to change things up. So I applaud them for doing that. I think it'll certainly be a fun style for them to watch. To watch. Um, I do agree. It's like, you know, they're enticing the other team to take low, low percentage two-point shots with their big man because they're just being guarded by someone who's six inches shorter, and that's not always the best play. I still think there is some concern about rebounding. Um Certainly they have some tough, scrappy players like P.J. Tucker who will mm. rebound bigger than his size. Um, so it'll be fun to see if that becomes an issue. You know, if the other team gets two chances at every shot and you only get one, that's a big disadvantage. Um, but I kind of like it, and I'm kind of curious if the Celtics will mirror the same thing because – our mm-hmm. top five players are all under six eight, um, so if we play all of them at the same time, we just really wouldn't have a big, which I think we can probably do against any team in the East, maybe with the exception of Philly, depending on how Joel is feeling that day. But um, yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see the Rockets. I'm not sure what the Hawks are really trying to do with Capella and John Collins, but. I mean, they're like a rebuilding team anyways, so I guess they'll figure it out as they go along. But, uh, yeah, and then I'm also interested to see if we've been rating Robert Covington correctly. Um, Zach Lowe had this whole thing about how he's been overrated, um, and it's like, how good is he really defensively? I'm not really sure. So that'll be I interesting mean, to see. To to kind of talk about that point, even just – thinking of that first game that Covington played for them that was against the Lakers and he played incredible defense that first game like his ability to put himself in a position to not just defend the person that he the, the player that he's on but also put himself in a position to 
move over for some help defense. Like, there was at least three times where Anthony Davis got the ball down low. Covington was guarding someone at the top of the key, but Covington was in a spot to where when Anthony Davis turned around to go shoot, Covington was there and blocked him from behind. So it's just like, Covington, I think, has a much higher basketball IQ than I think a lot of people give him, you know. It's not something that a lot of people talk about. Like, you talk about basketball IQ, Rondo comes up in the conversation, LeBron comes up, but, like, Covington knows better, I think, than a lot of players how to position himself to be in the best position to make a play. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, he's he's an elite team defender, right? And that's exactly what they needed. He's not, he's certainly not the rim protector Capella was, and he's not a, maybe he's not an elite one-on-one defender, but he certainly is an elite team defender. And I think what this trade was for Houston was Capella wasn't going to play in crunch time against the best teams in the playoffs. And nope. Covington will. Mm-hmm. So there you go. they figured, let's get our five best players on the court. We don't care what size they are. I think if there had been a good shooting center available, they would have got him too. It wasn't just about, like, oh, we have to not have a center. But they just wanted the five best players, and that's what they got. And the thing is, they needed to do this because they traded Chris Paul for Russell Westbrook. And Chris Paul is an elite three-point shooter, and Russell Westbrook is one of the worst volume... I think he is the worst volume three-point shooter in NBA history. So they cannot have two non-shooters on the court. They just can't with the way they play. So having Capella and Russ on the court in crunch time does not work, and it won't work against the best teams. So what did they do? They got the best three, three-point shooter available who could also play good team defense for them. And um, it certainly worked very well in the Lake, against the Lakers on Thursday. We all watched that game. Um... Now, they will have to go through Anthony Davis, Jokic, Gobert in the playoffs, and I'm still a little skeptical that it'll hold up over a seven-game series. But, you know, they insert that variance with their three-point shooting, right? There will be games when they hit almost 50% of their threes, and they're pretty much, there's no stopping them, right? But they're going to have games like they did against the Warriors where they miss most of their threes, and that costs them the game. So how does it shape up over a seven-game series, you know? I, I, that remains to be seen. But I think Kyle's right. They they took a shot at having a better chance of being those elite teams than they did before. I enjoy watching it because it's a stylistic difference, and I enjoy just seeing something different in the NBA. Um, I don't think they'll make it out of the West from this trade, but I don't think they would have beforehand. So, right. you know. One of the favorite, my, my favorite buzzwords of all time, you said variance. And I think... <laughs> I knew that'd get them. <laughs> uh, that's like a perfect perfect thing to say about the team is now they've increased the variance in in their in every game that they play not just for them but for the other team as well so you know with with a higher amount or a variance it gives the rockets a better chance to win games in which they had a lower chance to win in the first place yeah <laughs> agreed let's i want to quick say the Hawks side of this. I mean, Clint Capel is a good player and he's pretty young. My only concern is how he fits with John Collins there because John Collins is a great player, but his best skill, I think, is running the pick and roll with Trey. So I don't know how that's going to quite work out. It'll be interesting to see that. Maybe they're not sold on John as the long-term solution. I don't know. But it seems like there's a little bit of a conflicting skill set there. I feel like, if anything... They could use Capella after the season as, you know, a trade target for other teams and sell him for more assets sure. uh, than what 
you know, than what they had originally anyways. He's our D'Angelo Russell, you might say. Right. <laughs> uh, let's move on to the... Uh, maybe one of the more shocking ones to me is that Andre Godala went to the Heat. Um, there's a lot of talk of him going to the L.A. teams, but he ends up in Miami. Um, Memphis gets the, gets the trade that they wanted. They always were adamant that they, they, they were not going to allow him to be bought out, but instead wanted something back in return. And in return, they get Justice Winslow, the young player from former lottery pick from the um, Miami Heat. Seth, what are, your, what are your feelings on this trade? Yeah, I never really understood the whole Andre Godala situation to begin with. I've read up on it a little bit since then. Um, I just think he should have been playing for Memphis, and I'm not sure why Memphis was like content with letting him sit out the whole season. Or should be I fine. would imagine. I yeah. guess I'm guessing they figured it didn't matter because they weren't even going to sniff the playoffs, and then right, that's what it I turned was out they were wrong. Was like, <laughs> right, they really could have used him because they're better than they thought. Um, yeah, but regardless, at least they got something from it, and uh, I think this will. So I was at the uh, Miami Heat Blazers game on Sunday, Sunday night. Humble brag. That's <laughs> true. Wait, the Actually, Miami Blazers Heat tickets were surprisingly affordable. Um, the Miami Heat played the the Portland Maine Blazers. Strange, right? In the Z League. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> now, sadly, Jimmy Butler didn't play, so really, it's hard to gauge the impact on their on their team um, from that game. And Iggy only played probably like off the top of my head, I would guess like twenty minutes. But, um, I mean, I think it'll be a good addition for them. Uh, there were all these reports that they were also trying to get Gallo. Um, <clears throat> that, I think, would have been really good for them. So, as a Celtics fan, again, I'm bringing up the Celtics a lot today, but I'm not as concerned by the Heat as some of the other teams in the East. Certainly, um, I don't think this makes them better than the Bucks. Um, although that's a high bar. So I think it's good for the Heat and good for Memphis for getting something out of the whole Iggy situation. They certainly have a, a nice future looking forward. Yeah, I think I have, a little, I have some concerns about Iggy making a huge impact for the Heat. I know he's one of the smartest players in the league, so that may help uh, him age gracefully, but he is 36 after all. And I'm not yeah. sure how much he has left in the tank. But on the flip side, Justice Winslow is always injured. He's theoretically a great player and has never really reached that potential unless he's playing point forward. Um, but that team already has a lot of those types of players, the ball handlers like Jimmy and Goran Dragic. So for them, that's a great move to get to try to leap um, further in contention. I think they would have been a real contender if they had landed uh, Gallo, but couldn't quite swing that. And for Memphis... You got a good young player on a good deal for a guy who didn't want to be there in the first place. So I'd say he did pretty well there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I, uh, you know, it's a strange trade for Miami to make, I feel like. Um, surprisingly, Jay Crowder has looked good for them the last two games oh, yeah, since we he's should, been there. We should mention um, that Jay was in this deal and it got sent to the Heat, which isn't just a throw-in. I mean, he's going to play minutes for them. No, I mean, he's another really good defensive oh, player, yeah. right? And he's another player that can hit threes at a, a decently high clip. Um, yeah. 
which is good for Miami to spread the floor. Um, obviously, Iguodala is going to come off the bench, and he's going to play crunch time for the Heat um, and really just bolster their defense. Um, but like I said, it's, it's strange considering I, I feel like Justice Winslow has very similar qualities to Iguodala at a much younger age with more scoring propensity. But I, that's why I like this for Memphis at the same time is they got, like you said, a, a young player on a good contract that can really help this Memphis team once he is finally fully healthy. Um, I just keep having visions of a small ball lineup of Ja Morant, Dylan Brooks, Justice Winslow, Brandon Clark, and Triple J. Mm. Man, that's sexy. That's going to be fun to watch. I'm excited. It'll be great to yeah. watch. Uh, great to watch young Justice Winslow flourish in an offense led by Jonathan Morant. I got to say, <laughs> <laughs> former Syracuse student Jonathan Morant. Yeah, we that's an inside joke for those that are listening <laughs> and will never understand. We should say that Seth thought John Moran's name was Jonathan, but it's actually Demetrius, and <laughs> and his excuse was that he had a friend named Jonathan Morant uh, from Syracuse, but he called him John. So I don't know if that's really an excuse. Easy mistake to make, Demetrius Jonathan. <laughs> um, next one I want to discuss next trade is Andre Drummond going to the Cavs for, uh, I think, a used condom? Can we confirm? (laughs) (laughs) It was for a a second-round pick and cap filler. Uh, And and John Henson, right? John Henson's been dead for four years, dude. Do we tell him? (laughs) Would you believe, though, that his first game in um, Detroit, they said... He's available to play, but he won't play tonight. And four minutes into the game, he subbed in and he played 15 minutes. <laughs> I like how Kyle always starts with the least notable part of the deal. So, you know I like the players that no one else likes. Kyle, talk about Andre Drummond for a little bit. He's on your fantasy team. I know he's dear to your heart. I don't think there's been a year since we've been playing fantasy basketball that I haven't had Andre Drummond on my team. <laughs> I mean, the man is... A walking Barbara Walters. <laughs> and for those that don't understand that, that means he's a walking 20-point, 20 20-rebound 20 um, weapon. Is the most is the most uh, uh, astonishing Barbara Walters in recent memory, Shea Gilders-Alexander, like two weeks ago, getting a Barbara out of nowhere? That was outrageous. That man's a guard. That was outrageous. Shea has... He's so good. Whew. He's so good. Anyway, Andre. Um, but yeah, Andre, I mean, there's been... Andre's been, like, fed up with Detroit, I feel like, for years. They never really put anyone on that team to really do anything, right? So it's always just been Andre Drummond, and whatever he could do is kind of how far they could go. And in this day and age, to rely on a center, a a traditional center, to take you far, you're not going to get anywhere. Um, So now he's just... He's doing the same thing in Cleveland with even more ball hogs and Colin Sexton and Darius Garland, uh, a.k.a. Sexland, uh, is what the nickname of their backcourt is. Um, and if you don't believe me, they sell shirts. Not at the arena. I don't think they promote that, but at least in the dark web. Um, <laughs> dark web. But yeah, uh, I was nervous 
for my fantasy team. I didn't know what the what the value would be for Drummond going forward, but the first game he played, I think he had like sixteen and fourteen. So I mean, he's still he's still the Barbara Walters threat that he always was. Business as usual. Seth, any thoughts on this trade? Yeah, I mean, Cleveland is inexplicable in general. I don't know what they're trying to do. And I mean, Cleveland saw the rest of the league going small, and they said, "You know what we're gonna do? We're gonna go big, baby." It's double. But down I mean, on this. no one on their team is gonna be there in the future. It's not that they're gonna have love in the next couple of years. And Drummond, yeah. they could just decide whether or not to extend him this year. They could just be like, "Ah, we don't, we don't like what we see." And honestly, I don't know if Cleveland has made any smart decisions as a franchise ever in history. They brought LeBron James back and won a title. Right, they, which wasn't even really a decision that they made. It was like LeBron wanted to come back. I mean, drafting LeBron would be the one. And well, they then goated, maybe uh, the Kevin Love deal and drafting Kyrie. But other than that, it's like basically just been LeBron, won the one championship, and other than that, they've been terrible. I mean, it's like when, <laughs> it's like when LeBron left the Cavs the first time and Dan Gilbert released a statement saying LeBron, like that Cleveland will win a championship before LeBron James ever does. <laughs> and two years later, LeBron wins a championship and Cleveland's the worst team in the league. I mean, they're just an incompetent franchise. So I don't know what they're trying to accomplish with this. It's also a low risk. Like yeah. they didn't really give up anything for they him. Didn't so give up anything. Whatever. They're, How they're is this all the Pistons got for Andre? I realize they didn't want big, to deal with him anymore. A big contract. And I realize that he's, <laughs> Not a winning player, but... <laughs> but otherwise... <laughs> I mean, he's still good. Like, I don't know. It's it's weird to me that they couldn't get even a first-rounder for him. Like, even a bad first-rounder? I don't know. The thing that we're that seeing, though, I feel like, in the NBA, to relate this to our football friends is... Um, I think that the center position in the NBA is going to turn into the running back position Seth, of the just, NFL. Seth, the other day, uh, was telling me that this is his wild new theory. So somehow, I, separately, you guys came to the same conclusion. Yeah, I have not talked to Seth at all about this. I but... literally said to Sam, like, I was going to save this for the podcast sometime, but here's my theory. Because it's like, Kyle always talks about how running backs don't matter. And it's like in the NBA, most centers like don't matter that much. There's the occasional really good center like Shaquille O'Neal, like Joel Embiid, maybe even Rudy Gobert, Nico Jokic, who is an impact player and will like change the way that your team plays. Just like there's the occasional star running back like Derrick Henry on the Titans who changes the way his team plays or Christian McCaffrey. But most of the time, you can get by with, like, a cheap league average, like, replacement level center as long as the rest of your team, like, is good. So unless you have one of those big players, it makes (laughs) sense to just, like, get a Daniel Tice and not pay him anything. Right. Right, exactly. In the NFL, don't pay running backs unless they're versatile and can contribute heavily in the passing game. Same thing in the NBA. Don't pay a center unless they can move out to the three-point line and shoot threes and spread the floor. Right. For all you NFL fans out there, I hope you understand basketball more now. This has been an essay by Kyle and Seth Quam. All right. I don't want to talk about this trade anymore. Uh, last trade, Marcus Morris 
goes to the Clippers from the New York Knickerbockers uh, in return for Harkless and whatever else it might have been, a pick, I believe. Um, Seth, why don't you start on this one? I know you uh, have had intimate relations with Marcus on the <laughs> Celtics, so do you think this is uh, a meaningful upgrade for the Clippers? So, I think it has potential. Marcus has potential. He's the type of player that could win you a playoff game, especially on a team where there's going to be so much attention on Kawhi and on Paul George. And if the other team is doing everything they can to more or less neutralize those two players, and then they're like, screw it, we'll leave Marcus Morris open, he can catch and shoot big threes. He can make them in big moments. But the problem is the Clippers already have so many players who are really pretty, like, ball-stopping type players. You know, Lou Williams is a score-first player. Kawhi, Paul George are score-first players. I mean, Kawhi has shown an increasing ability over the last few years of being a playmaker. And certainly, like, Lou Williams with Harrell, um, setting in the pick and roll, like that can make plays for other people as well. But I'm just concerned that the Clippers will turn into one on one hero ball and they'll like take turns, each possession, who gets to take the shot. And Marcus Morris is one of those guys who like thinks that he's as good as anybody in the league. So I don't know if he's really going to defer as much as he should to, um, to Kawhi and Paul George. Like, I feel like if he plays in the Landry Shamit role, but a more versatile defender, where he's just a 3 and D guy, essentially, like, that would be good for them. I just don't know if they're going to be able to rein him in enough mm-hmm. so that he'll be content in that role, or if he'll end up, like, just catching and shooting all the time, pulling up for mid-range, and kind of disrupting the flow of the offense. Yeah, I think I agree with all those points. Kyle? Yeah, no, I don't know if there's really much more to say. I mean, New York has had an abundance of front court players, and the fact that they were only able to get rid of one and yet somehow replace him with another front court power forward. <laughs> I don't really know what's happening over there, but... Do they think they get, like, money for having each power forward? I don't understand. I, I don't know. Yeah. All right. I mean, I think it's an upgrade. I don't know if it'll be the thing that pushes them over the edge. Maybe it will be. We'll see. Uh, to wrap up, Kyle wanted to talk a little odds for All-Star Weekend and maybe give our midseason awards out for the NBA, who we think is winning each award so far. Off the cuff, too, because no one's prepared for this. Either of them. I actually have it. Yeah, I have it written on my cuff of my shirt, so we should be good. And this, and this is who we think is going to win or who we think should win? Who we think should win. Also, Based put on the, the first half of the season. You put the emphasis in both sentences on we. <laughs> it's like, do we think should win or who we think will win? <laughs> <laughs> All right, Kyle, uh, give us the odds for All-Star Weekend first so we can discuss what we're not going to bet. Right. Uh, I might make a trip over the border just to do some you know, fun stuff. Who he knows? means to Canada. <laughs> um, okay, so we got the skills challenge. Um, I'm going bam, baby. He's going bam, he says. Um, we got... Sp- Dinwiddie, the favorite, at three to one. Shea Gilgis, mm. Alexander, uh, four to one. Uh, Pascal, five to one. Yes. <laughs> Jason Tatum, six to one. Middleton, six to one. 
Patrick Beverly, seven to one. Sabonis, eight to one. And Bam is twelve to one. So no respect. Usually they do big man versus little man, and it's like ball handling, passing, shooting, right? Like you had to shoot through a little hole, you had to go through cones, and you had to like make a layup at the end or something. Layup, yeah. You pass through a hole. You don't shoot through a hole. Yeah, yeah. You're not like yeah. in a well, tunnel and trying to shoot at the basket. Famously, you're always trying to shoot through a hole, actually. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm going to go Bam, baby. I think I like when the big men win, you know? That's fair. I think my favorite, I mean, I think I'd have to go Shea for the uh, for the skills challenge here at, at the second favorite at 4-1. to one. But I don't know. I don't know why Dinwiddie... Dinwiddie's the the leader, you know, at three to one. I just love Shea so much, and he's shown so much ability this year to throw a ball through a hole and make a layup. So I just think he has what it takes. I think I think Dinwiddie won last year. That's probably why he's yeah, the he favorite. did win last year. That's why he's but the favorite. But I feel like anyone could win this. You just have like a good run once, and then you're fine. You know, it's like yeah. Usually the person that wins is someone that is losing, but they hit some wild like three quarter or half half court shot yeah. instead of hitting a layup. At I the think Jokic does that every year. <laughs> yeah. Okay. What's uh? What are the odds on the um? What else do we even care about? We got the three, three point, point contest. contest. Yeah, give me that. So uh, our three point contest this year, we got uh, Dalla Dame at. Uh, plus three seventy five. So I'm going favorite, baby. Three seven five <laughs> to one. Uh, Davis, Little Dick Bertans uh, at five to one. Don't you denounce his family name like that? Duncan Robinson at five to one. Joe Harris, who won last year, right? Five to one. Was it? Was it I him that won? Did Joe win last? Year? I think Joe won because I, I told you guys that I had Joe last year. He won. Oh yeah. Uh, Trey Young also at five to one. Buddy Heald at seven to one. I am mistaken. Zach Levine did not drop out. He is seven and a half to one. And then the bottom of the totem pole breakout, Devontae Graham at ten to one. Give me Doug and Robinson. All that man does is shoot. He was lighting it up when I don't know if you know this, I went to the Blazers game on Sunday. <laughs> Holy uh, shit. <laughs> honestly though. <clears throat> The Blazers like couldn't guard him. He'd just come off a screen at the top of the key, and there'd be no one there. It's like, have they not figured this out yet? He's uh, the new Davis school Bertans, JJ so. Redick. Yeah. Yes, Davis. I I'll would take like Bertans yeah. as well. Yeah, I, I'd put I a agree. On both, honestly. I think Davis Bertans takes it uh, this year. All right, give me a dunk contest. The dunk contest. Okay. What a strange field for the dunk contest this year. It really is. Running it back with Aaron Gordon at. Uh, 1.25 to 1. And he's probably going to win. Uh, Derek Jones Jr. Mm. at 2 to 1. Pat Connaughton, 4 to 1. Pat, come on. And now. the ghost of Dwight Howard at 5 to 1. Dwight can't even jump anymore. He's got ass pain. It's got to be Derek or Aaron, right? I was going to say Derek. Pat would be I, nice. I was going to say Pat. I'm going to go Pat. That would be a nice like they ever won it? I don't know. I, mean, I, I don't see why. <laughs> think people realize the bounce that Pat Connaughton has. He's got sneaky bounce. He's got sneaky bounce. The thing is, we know basically. the one thing I'm nervous about is we know how um, how creative Aaron Gordon is in That's the dunk true. contest. But he's already done so many, he might be running out of ideas. Maybe. How did we not manage to get Alex Caruso in any of these? 
Good question. He could also, have excelled at either like, one of those three events. <clears throat> I would like to say for the record, my dunk contest idea has never been done, and I don't understand why. Here's what you do. You start, like, on the free throw line or so. You take the ball. You shoot a high-arcing shot. Make the shot. While the ball is in the air, you're running towards the hoop. You make the shot. Catch it out of the bottom of the net and dunk it. I think that's been done. Show me. I guarantee you it is not. I mean, somewhere in the world, but never in an NBA dunk contest. I think me and you have done that several times. Yeah. In the bedroom. On a 12-foot rim. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. uh, You guys want to give out mid-season awards? Yes. Kyle, was your idea. You get to go first. No chance. All right, fine. I'll go first. What are the awards? (laughs) You're the one that brought this up. Uh, We'll go MVP, um, sixth man, defensive player of the year, coach of the year, most improved. That's it, right? Yeah. Okay. Uh, MVP, I'll go Giannis again. Best player on the best team. It's got to be Giannis. Last year, I bet on him in Vegas. Um, I will go for defensive play of the year. Give me Ben Simmons. Mm. Because, as I've said in the past, I prefer taking wing players who can guard anyone on the court than protecting centers who can't switch on to smaller players. And Ben is averaging, like, almost two steals per game. He's a tenacious defender. He can guard pretty much all five positions. So I'll take him. Most improved. <clears throat> Most improved. Who are even the candidates? There were so many better candidates last year for this, I feel like. You could go Pascal Bam. again. Bam. DeMontis, maybe. Uh, who am I missing? Shea. Luca. Luca. Though they never gave it to that type of player, I feel. That they usually give it to one who's made like a leap from uh, young players made a leap, but not to like MVP level. Uh, well, are we going with who we think it's gonna be or who we are, would pick? Who we think we would who, who we, we would vote for? <laughs> I'll go Bam. I just love. I fucking love Bam. Uh, Coach of the year. <sighs> Jesus, this is exhausting. I can't believe we're doing this. I'll go Nick Norse again. <laughs> I mean, they lost their best player, and they uh, on a 15-game second, winning streak. Yeah, second in the East. And they pull up four-court press sometimes, and it works, like, really well, which is kind of <laughs> weird. Uh, am I missing any? Hmm. Oh, sixth man. Uh, yeah. I mean, Lou Williams every year, right? You think? I don't know. Who else is there running? Montrez. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think he's really been that great this year. Montrez? Yeah. He's been really good. He's been decent. I don't think he's been that great. I think if anything, he's a seventh man. I just—they were literally just saying in the broadcast that he's having a career year, but maybe they meant <laughs> his worst career year. <laughs> I'll go with Lou. I mean, who else would it be? Seth, why don't you go through this exhausting exercise since I've had to do it? Okay, I'm with you on MVP for Giannis. Um, I think that's a no-brainer at this point. Uh, most improved, I'm going to take Luca. I think he's made the biggest leap from last year to this year. Last year, he was, like, a good player, clear rookie of the year, and this year, he's, like, one of the top five players in the league. Defensive player of the year, I kind of like the Ben Simmons pick. Um, I always think Marcus Smart should be in the conversation as well, Uh, although it'll probably be Gobert again because that's how the league is somehow. 
Um, <laughs> coach of the year, I like Nick Nurse as well. I think Toronto uh, is like one of the best stories of the of the year. And sixth man, who are the candidates for sixth man? I don't know. Yeah, look up the candidates, pal. Lou, Montrez, uh, Warren Drogic. Oh yeah. Um, oh. Dennis Schroeder. Meh. Uh, this was early in the season. They said Devonte Graham. I don't think he's going to be a six man candidate anymore. Yeah. Uh, or Spencer Dinwiddie, but I don't know if he's going to be eligible either. Yeah, because he put, he started so many games with Kyrie out. Yeah. Yeah, I got. I would, Lou, it would be between Lou and Gordon for me. Then, yeah, I think it's got to be Lou. Kyle, what do you think for these awards? Uh, MVP. As much as I hate it, I think you have to go Giannis. I, I want it to be Luca. Um, you know, it. Like you said, though, it's so tough for these voters to overlook the the team record when it comes to mm-hmm. come to MVP voting. So, but he also has Giannis. the greatest PER in history. So. It's who, pretty good. Who, Giannis? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's not yeah. like it's only because the Bucks are so great. But yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah, but I, I think if Dallas had the same record as the Bucks, I think Luka would be a much closer... Definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Obviously. So, um, yeah, I'm going to go with Giannis there. Uh, my sixth man... German chocolate cake, you know me. I'm going with Dennis. Mm. Dennis has to be averaging close to 20 points a game and got to be close to like five five assists and probably three four rebounds. Like that's kind of crazy to come off the bench. He plays close to like 31 32 minutes a game. So, yeah, I mean he's there. He closes with the three guard lineup, which yeah. is doing very well. Uh, my coach of the year, I was between two. Um, it's either Nick Nurse or it's Malone. Um, Post Malone, he means. However, I can also see D'Antoni coming into this if the Rockets go on some crazy run with this new small ball, less than every player less than six foot nine on the floor. Um, but I think it's going to be Nick Nurse. Um, what am I missing? Uh, defensive player of the year. Defensive and most improved, you haven't said yes. it. Uh, well, my most improved is hands down Shea Gilgis Alexander. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's three players in one, and all three of them got better. So, <laughs> the hell are you gonna do? I especially, I especially like the improvement from Gilgis. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then for defensive player of the year, Sheesh. what about Anthony Davis? That could be. He yeah. can switch onto smaller players and do well. I think defensive player of the year. Uh, if I had to rank them. I'm going to say Davis 1, Giannis 2, Gobert 3. Yeah, I guess I should have I'm going to go with Davis. Yeah. I think, that's I think it'd be cool if Giannis got got Defensive Player of the Year as yeah. well. That'd be fun. That would be cool. All right. He, he just had a baby. Yeah, and he his said... His name is Liam. He said, uh, well, Fred Van Vliet had a baby, and his shooting really improved, so maybe that'll happen for me. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, this has been a successful NBA podcast, I think. Um... I have nothing more to say on the matter, boys. Seth? Thank you to all our loyal listeners, all five of you. You guys hold it down for us. AD, our one listener per Spotify analytics listening over in India. India. Also, whoever is listening in Germany, shout out. Dirk, we know it's you. (laughs)
on the third day. You already know what happened.